Today's reading is out of Isaiah 41 and 42. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your argument, says Jacob's king. Tell us, your, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were, so that we may consider them and know their final outcome. Oh, declare to us the things to come. Tell us what the future holds, so we may know that you are God's. Do something, whether good or bad, so that we will be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing, and, you are, and your works are utterly worthless. Whoever chooses you is detestable. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him, and he will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised knee, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In the teaching, the, the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to its people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the Gentiles, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. I am the Lord, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. See the former things have taken place and new things I declare. Before they spring into being, I announce them to you. Sing to the Lord a new song, the praise from the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that is in it, you islands all and all who live in them, let the wilderness and its towns raise their voices. Let the settlements where Kedar lives rejoice. Let the people of Selah sing for joy. Let them shout from the mountaintops. Let them give glory to the Lord and proclaim his praise to the islands. The Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior. He will stir up his zeal. With a shout, he will raise the battle cry and will triumph over all his enemies. Amen. Thanks be to God. All right. Amen. How we doing? We doing all right? Got that sleepy post-homecoming vibes, or are we energetic and still alive this morning? I'm going to wake us up then. I'm going to wake us up. Come on. Don't make me. Um, I experienced something yesterday that uh, I'm not sure I've ever experienced in my life. Um, I've shared this with some of you before and even in some of my messages, but I have, I've always kind of, I'm not a nature guy, okay, just to be honest. I've never been an outdoors guy. It's kind of my shtick, like, I'm from Colorado and you don't like nature. You know, that's kind of my, that's kind of my thing. Um, and it's kind of funny, but I've also been like praying about that because I know a lot of you, you like go on walks in the mountains and stuff and you like connect with the Lord. And that sounds really great. So to, to be honest, like I've really actually been praying about that. And uh, yesterday morning, I'm going to get emotional early if I start talking about this in too much detail, but 
I was flying in to Chicago in my like little whatever the the layover spot before we hit Columbia because no direct flights into Columbia, but someday in Jesus' name. And we're awake, okay, all right, we're here. Uh, but I'm landing into Chicago, and um, I don't know, I'm just worshiping, praying, you know, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I was being really spiritual, doing my job, some would say. Um, but we're landing in, and I, I opened up the window, which I rarely do, and uh, <laughs> I looked out the window, and I have never seen a sunrise like that. Like, the colors, it was right over the city of Chicago, like, it was so beautiful, and um, I got to stop there, seriously. It was so, I've never experienced anything like this. I was ugly crying in seat 27D. Like I was just a total wreck. I'm, I'm so, the flight attendant literally came up to me and was like, sir, are you okay? And I'm like, who, I forgot where I was, you know? Like, I'm like, who are you, where am I? Why are you talking to me? I don't know if I'm okay, you know? But I'm just a wreck. And I, I, I was just so, I had this transcendent moment though. And um it's funny, I'm, this isn't, I'm, I'm, I'm not like even preaching right now, I'm just trying to get an illustration out, but I was so, I've never experienced anything like that. Maybe I was tired, who knows. But as we, as, as we were flying, there's this, you, you look at the sunrise, and at the same time, you're up so high that there's these clouds that you just kind of pass through, and uh, I just like couldn't, I couldn't, there'd be moments where I'd see it, and then all of a sudden the clouds would be there, and it was the first time in my life, I'm like, God, I need to see the sunrise, you know, like, move the clouds, you know, so, I, so and we passed through a little bit, and I'm not trying to be over-spiritual this morning. I haven't even prayed yet in my message, but I felt the Spirit really say something to me in that moment, that that's, that, that, that's so often what, there's these things in our lives that the Scriptures call idols, that they block out the beauty of Jesus. And there's these clouds that are in our way. And it's not that the beauty isn't there, the sunrise is there, but there's these things that just can block, block our vision. And, and, and that's, that's what I want to look at this morning, is that there's something so, Jesus is so beautiful. And this passage really ends, it ends in this, there's these couple movements that end in this worshipful singing new songs. But where Isaiah starts is that there are these idols in the way. And so there's some movements that I want to look at in the passage. One, we're going to look, we're going to look at a delusion, then we're going to look at a servant, and then a new song. A delusion, if you're note-takers in here, I see some of you folks early this morning. A delusion, a servant, and a new song. That might even be a sermon title. We might be up there this morning. But let's pray, and we'll get into it. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much. You are so, so beautiful. You're the only one who can sustain us. You're the only one who's worthy of our worship. And yet there's so many things that are competing for our hearts in these moments. We don't get to choose whether we worship, but what we worship. And Holy Spirit, we ask this morning that you would realign us around the throne of our King Jesus. And that we would see you for who you are this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So movement one, a delusion. Isaiah starts really with what the Lord says. Present your case, says the Lord. Set forth your arguments, says Jacob's king. Tell us, you idols, what is going to happen. Tell us what the former things were so that we can consider them and know their final outcome. Or declare to us the things that are to come. Tell us what the future holds so we might know that you are gods. Do something, whether good or bad, so we might be dismayed and filled with fear. But you are less than nothing. 
and your works are utterly worthless. And so Isaiah, he begins with this phrase that we might be familiar with, maybe not, but he says this, tell us, idols, what's going to happen? And what he's doing, really, he's creating this kind of quartz illustration, or like Shark Tank. You know, he's like, idols, come up, present your case to me, show me what you really have. And then the argument, he kind of, he kind of opens it up, and then it slowly kind of turns into this like taunt session, you know? Did anybody else go like full binge mode with, when Suits came out on Netflix? Anybody? Hello, Suits. Well, if you didn't see it, you should. It's fire. Eight seasons, and there's one on Peacock. But um, I don't know why they did that. You know, stuff is weird. But he basically goes full Harvey Specter mode, right? It's like, it's not enough just to prove my point, but I'm going to actually humiliate you. And that's what he does. He's like, go ahead, idol. Show me what you can do. And not only that, he keeps going. He's like, no, you're nothing. I know I've got you. You have nothing that you can actually offer. There's nothing that you can bring. Your works are utterly worthless. And so who, who is he taunting? What is he actually talking to? What is an idol? Some spiritual language up in here. But an idol is a created thing. And we know God makes everything good. So, so it's not always a bad thing, but it's a good thing that God can make. A gift from God that we make our everything. We make it essential to our peace, our self-image, contentment, our sense of control or acceptability. There are good things that God makes that we turn into God things. And there often even are these demonic dark forces that are behind and empowering these idols. There are narratives, spiritual forces, lies behind these idols that tell us what will make us happy, what will give us peace, what will inform the idols of our worship. Keller says it this way. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you what only God can give you. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would hardly be worth living. And it's interesting the way God speaks about these idols, though, isn't it? I mean, he doesn't just like look at them and say, stop with the idols. But he actually encourages us to think about the idols, What's happening is God is speaking to us and he's appealing to our rationality here. In fact, he's demanding our rationality. He's not afraid of reasoning or demanding this like blind faith, but here in the passage, God is the one who introduces reason into the equation. He dares us to think by daring our idols to act. Right? God isn't afraid of clear thinking, but he's actually the one that provokes it. Because idolatry and idol worship, it flourishes in the fog of our confusion, but God invites us to think clearly. It's essentially what he's saying here. He's saying, just think about this. How's it actually going for you? Idolizing that relationship that you want so bad that should you lose it, life would hardly be worth living. Idolizing that job, idolizing that future retirement, idolizing that safety and security, saying, just really think about it. Are you happy? How's that going for you? Are you actually finally content? He draws us in to think about our idols, to think about the nature of our heart and what we actually love and worship. In fact, in the ESV, he says this, Behold, they are all a delusion. (laughs) They look like one thing, but they're not that. They look like security. They look like contentment. They look like freedom, but they're nothing. Their works are nothing. Their metal images are empty wind. 
But then he says this in the beginning of chapter 42. He says, but behold. He says, behold, there's a delusion. And then he says, but behold, my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen one, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him, and he will bring forth justice to the nations. I love that. Isaiah, Isaiah is using this language to contrast two sources of satisfaction in our lives. Behold your idols and behold my servant. One, a delusion. One, a servant. One has all of its works that accumulate to nothing. It takes from you. It overpromises, and it doesn't even like underdeliver. He's saying it doesn't deliver. Its works come to nothing. Nothingness is what the Hebrew word translates, a void, an emptiness. The metal images are like empty wind. Empty wind is the same exact word used in Genesis 1 that describes the earth when it's formless and empty and darkness surrounds it. He's saying this is what leads, this is where your life leads when you worship idols. He's saying that ultimately this is what it will unravel into, nothingness, emptiness, confusion, darkness. Something that takes your energy, takes your attention, takes your focus and turns it into nothing. Behold your idols. And he says, and behold my servant who brings forth justice, who takes that which is fragmented and makes it whole again, who, who doesn't take from you but who gives to you, who sacrifices for you, who loves you, who can endure through life and its hardships. And I mean, think about that. That's what Jesus says about himself. He says, the son of man came not to be served, but to serve. I mean, can you imagine hearing that? This guy from the Middle East who claims to be God, claims to be the chosen one, and he says about himself, I didn't come to be served, I came to serve. For the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, to give his life as a ransom for many. And in a lot of ways, this is the invitation to us. This is, this is what we are called to be as Jesus' people, as the people of God. We are called, if you're wondering today, like, what am I called to do? What am I supposed to do? It is a model for us. We are made to be servants. That's who we are called to be. We are called to follow in the way of Jesus and serve. But it's really hard for people to experience and for us to experience the serving power of Jesus through us without receiving the serving power of Jesus to us. And I don't know about you, that makes me feel a little uncomfortable. I know it made Peter feel uncomfortable, you know. I can't help but think of this story, you know, Jesus, on the night that he was going to be betrayed, he's having just a nice meal with his closest people around a table, and he wanders over and he grabs this bucket, this basin of water, and he brings it to the feet of Peter, and you can imagine the disciples in this moment right there, like, what's he doing? Is he about to make more wine? Hello? Just checking to see if you're awake this morning, you know? Christian jokes, water into wine, Jesus did it, maybe he's doing it again. That's what I'm trying to lead us to. Thank you. Love explaining my own jokes. But they're wondering, what's he, what's he doing? And he bends over, and he's about to wash Peter's feet. And I mean, feet in general, like here in 2023, feet are gross, right? Like, let's just be honest. Feet, no, not for me, you know? I've been in too many locker rooms and seen too many feet to just, they're just not it. 
in 2023, in the first century, before shoes, before socks, before sidewalks, in the dirt, like that is disgusting, bro. Like that is, that is just nasty. And yet he bends over to wash his feet. And Peter's aware of this dual reality, you know? One, I am, I am, I am dirty. Like my feet are gross. <laughs> and my soul is pretty dirty. And he's aware that this is Jesus, the Son of God, the Messiah, the, the, the chosen one. And so Peter, in this moment, is rational, he's logical, and so he naturally asks the question about this interaction, you want to wash my feet? <laughs> and classic Peter just starts talking before he even gives Jesus a chance to answer the question. You know, he's, like, he's like, no, you're not washing my feet. Let me wash your feet. Which makes sense, you know? We can shame Peter for that. But logically speaking, I mean, what has Peter done up to this point to deserve anything from Jesus? What has Peter done in this, in, up to this point to earn anything from him? I mean, no one in their right mind sits back in the chair and like, go ahead, Jesus. I've been, I've been carrying a lot, you know. About time. I was wondering because my feet are gross and I was thinking, you know, we could do this. But like no one. The moment we start to think and see these stories, is like, yeah, that makes sense. That's what Jesus did. That doesn't make any sense. It's so backwards that the king would bend over on his knees, on your dirty feet, with a loofah in his hand, and scrub those things, right? That's what Peter said. He's like, you're not going to wash my feet. Then Jesus responds to him, Peter, if I don't wash, if you don't let me wash you, you have no part in me, which is interesting, isn't it? I mean, to think like your own self-reliance, your ability to make it on your own, to prove yourself spiritually, it's not impressive to him. In fact, it separates you from him. He says, you, you won't have any part in me unless you wash me, unless you let me wash you. And that's what Peter says, right? Peter, I love Peter. He just flips the, the entire different way. He's like, then wash my whole body, Lord, you know? I need a shower, my guy. I love Peter. I'm a, I, I connect with Peter, you know? I get it. But it's scandalous. And all of this on the same night that Peter, like this is the same night. Jesus knows that Peter is going to sit around a fire and have a 12-year-old girl look him in the eyes and say, Don't, didn't, you walk, didn't you walk with Jesus? And he's in his mind three hours before. He's like, that king was just washing my feet, and yet he looks her in the eyes. His biggest moment of shame and regret. And moments before that, Jesus, the servant, washing his feet. That's our Savior. That's our King. That's who he is. Isaiah continues in verse 2, He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the street. A bruised reed he will not break, and a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice. He will, grow, he will not grow faint or be discouraged till he has established justice in all the earth and the coastlands wait for his law. Can you sense the nature of Jesus in, this, in just this little tiny little section? The gentle power of Jesus. I mean, Jesus, he, he hates evil. He hates it. He despises it. Every source and form of evil that is on the earth, he, that you don't know what makes the Lord angry. It's, his, it's evil in the earth. 
It is oppression. It is racism. It is injustice that he sees. It fuels him. It, 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 he, he, he hates it. And yet he doesn't get tired or discouraged. It says he will bring about justice. Justice and righteousness is what upholds his very throne. And yet, a bruised reed he will not break. The gentle power of Jesus. Some, some of you, you've been reading through Isaiah, and it just kind of makes, you're like, this is, this is crazy stuff, you know. <laughs> God seems, seems mad quite a bit. And the enemy will, will use even some of those things to, to plant these seeds of doubt and discouragement into your own soul. But can I say how, how God relates to you? On the cross, he decided once and for all how he will relate to you. Justice that you deserve, the penalty that you deserve, that we deserve, he swallowed all of that up in his death on the cross. And you and I, we were adopted into his family. All the justice, all the anger towards the evil, he swallowed it in on himself. And so you might not feel worthy at all today. You might not feel that one bit. But Jesus, he, he decided your worth on the cross. He decided once and for all how he's going to relate to you as a son or a daughter in one moment on the cross. Towards darkness, he is the Lion of Judah, the protector, the fierce, passionate, bold, powerful one. And yet to us, he is the Lamb of God who has come to take away the sins of the world, the sacrificial, serving, gentle, lowly Lamb of God. Smoldering wick he will not snuff out. And he continues, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I am the Lord. That is my name. My glory I give to no other, nor my praise to carved idols. Behold, the former things have come to pass, and new things I now declare. Before, the spring, before they spring forth, I will tell you of them. And then he says this, sing to the Lord a new song. His praise from end, the ends of the earth. You who go down to the sea and all that's in it. You islands and all who live in them. Notice the movements here. Behold your idols. Behold your servants. And then movement three, and sing a new song. Is it, music is super interesting, isn't it? I read this study this week that, that, that since 1960... 67% of the music and songs that are created are somehow about love. Isn't that interesting? We're on a big One Direction kick in our house. Don't judge me, okay? But One Direction is so fascinating. Like, if you ever watch their music videos, they're just like a bunch of bros running around on the beach, like, hanging out. But their lyrics are not that at all. They're not like, we're a bunch of boys running on the beach, hanging out. You know, like, that's not what they're singing about. They're like, every song is about love. They're like 16-year-old kids, like, singing about love. Because that's what sells, <laughs> Because we know like song and love, it is connected. There's something when you love somebody, you're just like, ooh, I got to sing about it. I can't just like tell you about it in a nice written email. You know, like that's not it. Song and love are connected. And so what do you, where Isaiah and ultimately the Lord is taking us here, even in this passage, he's saying when you, when you really behold Jesus, you know what happens in your heart? You sing new songs. Worship overflows out of your heart, and the worship that you have for idols is replaced with a genuine, true, simple worship of Jesus. He's not just realigning our lives, but he's realigning underneath it that which we worship. 
And he's doing it in the confines of intimacy and love. It's the only response when we really see Jesus, when we really experience his grace, when we have fresh revelations of his love and mercy and faithfulness and power. It's worship. It wells up within us. It just overflows out of us. We can't help it. So the passage says, he uses phrases like a new song, shouts of joy, proclaiming his praise, glorifying the Lord. It's the only proper response. And it's also not, it's more than just some like logical response. It's not just like, I hear God's gospel truths and I respond with worship. That, that is what happens, but it's, but it's even deeper than that. It's more than that. There's something that happens when we worship. Piper, he says this, he says, even though the victory belongs to God, the human means through which God gives the victory is the ministry of the choir. Hello, ministry of the choir. That's a fire phrase. I never heard that, but I like that. AKA the worship team, you know? <laughs> through worship. It's what, it's what the passage is saying. It's saying that the Lord will march out like a champion, like a warrior and triumph over his enemies as we declare to the darkness who he is, there's something that happens when we sing. And some of us, you've felt it, and some of us, that is my longing, that you would feel that which happens when we sing. I mean, there's a super interesting, kind of bizarre story in 1 Samuel, right? Saul, it says, he was the king of the time, and he, it says that there was a, a, an evil spirit given to Saul to torment him. So just think about it, there's, there's darkness tormenting Saul. It says that it would never let up until, unless one thing happened, except for when David would play his harp. <laughs> Think about that. David's just playing his harp and singing worship songs, and all of a sudden, the, the, the evil spirit would lift. That's what it says. It says, and whenever the tormenting spirit that troubled Saul, David would play the harp, and then Saul would feel better, <laughs> and the tormenting spirit would go away. Something happens when we worship. Something happens when we sing. We're not just like doing some kind of like sermon warm up here and then sermon cool down here, you know? Like that's not what's happening. This is the place of encountering the Spirit of God. This is the place where darkness is pushed back. There's spiritual power in our worship. And I want to say to some of you this morning, like if you're feeling an increased attack spiritually, like if you feel like spiritual warfare is really relevant in your life right now, maybe you feel like more than it ever has been, if you just feel heaviness and a darkness and you feel like, I can't believe the truth right now, you need to worship. You need to sing your way out of it. You need to sing until it lifts. Isaiah 61, when, when there's this beautiful passage of all the things that God takes from us that are bad for us, then he replaces them with good things. And one of the things he says is that he replaces the spirit of heaviness. Some of you know that spirit of heaviness. I just feel heavy. He says he replaces it with a spirit of praise. Praise drives away the heaviness. It's what happens because we're singing reality. We're singing to the darkness. That Jesus, he's disarmed every ruler, every authority, all of it on the cross. They have no power in the mighty name of Jesus. And when we sing, we're not just like trying to, oh, I got to get this in my head this morning. Oh, let me wake up. We're singing to the darkness. You're singing and you can feel things lift off of you when you worship. It's what we're doing here as a community. I mean, some of you come in here and it's like, man, I, I can't really sing today. I just am not feeling, not feeling too great about my life, not feeling too great about my spiritual life. I'm saying, you need to sing. 
It's an act of defiance to our idols. It's an act of defiance to the darkness. You need to sing. And some of you, you know, it's like, I Cam, I literally can't sing this morning. That's why you're here. You know who I'm singing for sometimes? Sometimes it's for me. Like, sometimes I'm just like, Lord, I need you. Sometimes it's overflow. Like, I am just so amazed at who you are, God. And there are sometimes, I just have some of you in my mind. Like, Lord, they need to know your faithfulness. And you just need to sit in here and let people sing. That's why we sing together. It's the beauty of communal worship. It's not just trying to get it in our heads, but something happens in us. That the victory is ours. I mean, the place of worship is the place of suffering and pain and torment. We can sing until it lifts. I also want to encourage you to worship privately. Praise God, it's 2023. I don't need to carry around David and his harp, you know. I got my AirPods, bro. I can worship anywhere, any place, anytime. It's amazing. I love 2023. Gosh, everybody's like, their phones, they're killing society. I'm like, I can worship though, you know. Golly, so good. Worship, you can worship on your own. Literally, like when you're feeling discouraged, you can just, you don't even need to, sometimes we don't know what to pray. (laughs) Just put some AirPods in your ear and just worship and just sing to the Lord for who he is. I mean, even right now, like you, like you are the temple of the Holy Spirit. You are his sanctuary. And his praises, they, they bring his presence to us. And it lifts our eyes so that the, we, we can see what's, what's not just in front of us, but to see what is really reality. Colossians 3 says, Since you have been raised to new life with Christ, then set your sights on the realities of heaven, where Christ sits in the place of honor at God's right hand. That's what worship does. It gets that reality into us, that what I'm currently seeing is not all that's happening. There's a greater story happening here. It lifts our eyes to the realities of heaven. It takes us from the temporal realities to the eternal ones. Worship is also the ways that we get out of our own head. (laughs) Some of you need that. I just got to get out of my own head. This is what Eugene Peterson says. He says, worship is the strategy by which we interrupt our preoccupation with ourselves and attend to the presence of God. And I mean, we're all about self-awareness here. Like we are all about the, the spirit revealing things about ourselves, walking in this slow spiritual life, becoming like Jesus. But how many of you know a, a healthy self-awareness can easily drift into an unhealthy preoccupation with yourself, right? An over-awareness of like how you're doing, how you're feeling. And worship is meant to lift our eyes away from any of those things. But what's funny is a lot of the time, even in, in this kind of place, Worship becomes a place where we're very aware of ourselves. (laughs) That like the main thing I'm thinking about is like how my voice sounds, who's around me. And I'm not trying to like, hey, you need to lift your hands when you worship. You need to lose sight of everything. I'm not not saying that, okay? But I want to ask you like, why, why, why do you not raise your hands? Why do you not move in worship? And some of you, it's fine. It's like, that's, that's how God made me. That's my personality, and I'm totally for that. As, as long as that's exactly how you are at a football game, and that's exactly how you are at a wedding, and that's exactly how you are at any party you've ever been to, is that's just, how, that's just who I am. That's totally fine. You feel a little guilt right there? I'm, I'm bringing a little bit this morning. 
But think about it. Like, think about even, let me just use the football game illustration for just a second. Think about it. No one in a football game is like, I don't want to clap too loud to draw, I don't want to draw attention to myself, you know? I don't want to raise my hands too, like, I don't want to be the highest hand guy at the football game, you know? Why? Because everyone in the crowd at a football game knows it's not about you. Every single person there, nobody's thinking about themselves. They're all thinking about what's happening on the, on, on the field. That's what's meant to be here. We're not meant to be thinking about ourselves in the first place. But our acts, I mean, I mean, I could read 15 psalms right now that tell us to move our bodies when we worship. We're not Gnostics here. We don't believe there's a spirit side of us and a body side of us. We are one body. We are a body. We don't just have one. We are a body. So our bodies and our souls, they're connected. I'm just going to leave that there. I'm just going to leave that there for, for you guys for a little bit, just to think about it. Why don't you do that? And if it's, if it's because I don't want to be perceived as over-spiritual or I've seen people do that in a weird way, that, then, that's, then we need to think about that. But if it's out of fear of man or fear of what people might think about you, I want to say I don't think that's really the good reason to not move our hands and move our bodies. When, when we feel stuff, our, 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 our body reacts. It's why we smile. It's why we frown. It's why all these things happen. So I just want to ask you a question here as we close. Where, where are you this morning when it comes to worship? I want to close with one, one of my favorite stories. I read this the other day in a way that I've never read it in my entire life. Um, but how many of you, you know Peter on the boat when he walks on the water? Even if you're not a Christian in here, you've heard of that one, you know? It's, it's a great story, but Peter, he's, 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 he sees Jesus out on the water just out there. I don't know why he like wakes up. He's like, Jesus, what are you doing out there? And I love Peter. He's just, I'm just really, we're rocking with Peter hard this morning. We're really going with Peter. But he looks at Jesus and he's like, yo, what are you, what are you doing out there? Can, can I come with you? You know, I love that. He's like, yeah, can I come? He's like, sure. Come on out, Peter. And this is where preachers will really preach. I could preach this hard. You know, he's like, he walked and he kept his eyes on Jesus. And, and, then, and then he was walking on the water and then he took his eyes off the Savior. And what happened? He sunk, you know? And we were, I've read that a bunch of times. Some of us know that story. But what's really interesting was what happens right after that. Peter, he, some people, that's a, gr- a moment of great victory for Peter. You know, he walked on the water with Jesus. And I'm kind of like, really? Like, he ended up, like, he, he sunk in the water and Jesus had to save him, you know? Like, that's, what, that's how the story ends. Like, good job, Peter. Like, way to go, bro. Like, you're, he gets back in the boat. He's soaking wet. And you know what the next phrase is? And they worshiped him. I mean, can you, can you imagine here for a moment? Peter is soaking wet on the boat, dripping wet, a moment of great failure. And him and Bartholomew and the boys, they're just singing, they're like, how great is our God? You know, like they just go right into worship. What? Because when you see Jesus for who he is, think Peter's like, oh, I got to get my, can I get a towel or something, you know? Like nothing. They're so consumed at who he is that they cannot help but worship. It's a, it's a, it, 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 it's, it's a competition for your attention in that moment. What has your eyes today? What has your awe? Is it everything else around you? Or, or can I just invite you this morning, even as we worship, to take your eyes off of yourself for a moment, to not look at the wet clothes, like, are you soaking wet this morning? You know what I mean by that? You got some heaviness on you? You feeling some shame and some discouragement? Guys, can we just take our eyes off of that just for a moment and just worship him and just look at 
Jesus. Let's pray. Father, we love you. We thank you so much. You are victorious, Jesus. Even this morning, we don't like sing from or for or like for a victory or for our freedom. We sing from our freedom. And so, Holy Spirit, we ask that you would come and that you would lift our eyes to see Jesus this morning. There are clouds, there are things that block us from seeing who you are. And so would you remove the veil this morning as we sing? Would you make us a worshiping church? Would that mark us? Not our programs, not our stuff that we do, but would we just be consumed and obsessed with you, Jesus? You are our Savior. You are our King. You are the one who bends over and washes our feet with all of our shame, with all of our discouragement, with all of the heaviness that we feel. That's who you are. So would you replace even right now any lies that we're believing, any any false images of who you are, would you replace that with the true beauty of who you are, Lord? We love you and we worship you and we commit ourselves to you. In Jesus' name, amen.